This is Monday Morning Church, the podcast where executive pastors, church administrators, and IT managers share their stories. Monday Morning Church is presented by KissFlow, the church automation solution. You can download the free ebook, The Beginner's Guide to Church Automation, at bit.do slash church automation. That's bit.do slash church automation. Welcome back to the Monday Morning Church Podcast. Amy Beagle is joining us today from the River Church in Marion, Indiana. Great to have you on the show today, Amy. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Amy, tell us a little bit about how you came to the River Church. Sure. My husband and I moved back into the Marion area after being gone for about six years. And we wanted a church that was friendly to um, people who were new in the faith or unchurched. And actually, we went to college, and I was in high school youth group with our lead pastor, Matthew Trexler. And um, and so my husband suggested that we try the River Church first. And so we uh, came actually by choice to choose to attend here and bring our family here. My husband was working and still currently does work for um, our area of Youth for Christ. And so we knew we would be bringing students and inviting families who had no church background, and we wanted a church that would be very friendly um, to new believers. And, um, and so that's why we really settled on the River Church. We love the heart. We love the mission. Um, we love that they cared about the community. And so I actually came not in my ministry position. I came just as a, as a regular uh, community attender. So how did it develop then that you ended up on staff? Yeah. So when I came, um, I've been a licensed and still am a licensed clinical social worker. And, um, and so my path really was in the fields of psychology and social work. Um, I spent um, about 12 years doing therapy and being a clinical director in a small organization um, that provided school-based therapy and family-based therapy. And so that was really my specialty. And I came here um, as a community member to the church and then became involved as a board member. And so as a board member, I just became uh, so excited about our vision. Our our board was currently going through a strategic um, analysis with an outside um, company. They were really looking at our church because they were identifying some health. Uh, Our church was growing while our community was shrinking. Hmm. And it just didn't make sense. Um, Community was really suffering economically. And so people were leaving the area, but the church was really growing numerically and spiritually. And, um, and so the district um, kind of suggested and helped to sponsor this um, strategic analysis. And huh. I just loved the process. I'm sorry, the community around you, the district, as in like the governing body helps support that? Right. Wow. We are a Wesleyan church. Okay. So we're a Wesleyan church in the Wesleyan um, district. Um, was looking at this for um, several churches in our district, an opportunity um, to use this strategic analysis program through the Unstuck Group. Um, Actually, I would highly recommend the Unstuck Group. Um, And so they're really trying to help churches who are stuck. But in our case, it was almost like, let's look and see what's working Hmm. um, so that you can maximize what's working and so that you can repair the things that aren't working. And I just loved the process. I started attending extra meetings here as a board member. I had a full-time job outside of that. That says something, extra meetings. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Who goes to extra meetings? Um, And I loved them. 
and um, just started getting more and more invested in the mission and the purpose of why we were doing the programs and events and even sermon series and just, you know, seeing the underlying uh, mission underneath it. And so this process was like a, a lengthy process. And at the end of this, the, the unstuck group suggested some staff changes and they suggested um, an executive pastor role. And actually they suggested to our lead pastor, why don't you look at this Amy Beagle who hmm. has been on your board and is really, you know, really diving in. And oftentimes um, churches try to pull in an outsider and they may not mm-hmm. fit the culture or may not feel the same passion for the community. And so they maybe don't invest at the same level. And um, I actually, so I got approached about this position that I knew was out there because I've been a part of the strategic meetings, but I didn't have any idea. It wasn't on my radar at all um, for me personally. And so I actually said, no, I've already committed to another year at my current um, employer. So I, I just signed the paperwork a couple months ago. I don't think I could do that. And um, my uh, friend and our lead pastor said, uh, have you prayed about it? And I said, <laughs> No, I haven't. <laughs> and in just three days time at a little prayer chapel here on a college campus nearby, um, God just did a major work in my life. I couldn't even believe it. I called my husband on day two. I was leaving and I was crying. And I said, oh, my word, I think I'm about to leave my job and go hmm. into ministry. What is going on? <laughs> and um, and so, yeah, just God confirmed it on the third day. And I have been here this I accepted the job in May, three years ago, but um, didn't start until that fall, like in August, actually, the first week of August. So I'm coming up on my third year here pretty soon. Now, I want to dive a little more into the specifics of what you do there. But before that, I know that anyone listening is going to want to know what the Unstuck group found. You know, did they find this pearl that you guys were doing or not doing that was kind of leading to this growth and this like dynamic culture there. What was it they found? What were you guys doing right? I think uh, we found some core values that were drawing people in. Hmm. And um, one of them was authenticity, just being uh, extremely authentic in our programs and in our sermons. And so it's really normal that you see people dressed extremely casually at our church and you hear messages that are going to talk about day-to-day things that may be uncomfortable for some people, Hmm. um, things like pornography or um, even some race uh, tension that could exist in our community. Um, We tend to to just be extremely authentic and um, not too concerned about the, the dress or even the language. We also identified another core value is that, um, People really wanted to hear us stick to um, really biblical integrity mm. is kind of what we called it um, and preaching not from as much stories, but preaching from the Bible mm. and um, trying to really identify um, recognizing that our community didn't know their word as much as they, even our church community, even our Christians didn't know their word or how to use their word. And so um, being really true to making sure that the Bible is the emphasis, not some great character story that could be taught. Hmm. Um, And so, and then I think we just are really drawn to our community. We know that our community is suffering. We found out through another 
um, outside agency that was doing some consulting work for us that was looking at something completely different. But in the course of their research, we saw this line that has been a passion point now for us for the last 12 months. And it said that in a five-mile radius from where our church sits, we're in an old elementary school building, and in a five-mile radius around us, there are 12,000 people who claim to be completely un, uh, unchurched. They're the nuns. They claim no religion at all. Hmm. 12,000 people within a five-mile radius. And that has become almost our battle cry to say that if, if Jesus, uh, as the good shepherd, would leave a good, healthy flock of 99 to go after the one, we have to be concerned with the 12,000 that are hmm. right around us. And I think that that mission even was true before we knew that statistic, that we are just really drawn to the, the broken, the unchurched, the de-churched, and young families in our community. That's who we're, we're really seeking after. And I just think people, once people um, hear that and see that, they, they want to be a part of it too. Hmm. Yeah, once they see that you're serious about it, then they want to be a part of it. Yeah. So I want to go back a little bit to when you first came on staff there. You know, obviously the church had been experiencing growth even before you came on. And then this unsub group came, they suggested they hire you as executive pastor. So when you come into a healthy church setting as an executive pastor, you know, did you have a list of things that you were kind of thinking about changing about structure or about maybe the way that the staff you know, participate with one another and in programs, or were you just kind of along for the ride? And it's been those things have been kind of revealing themselves to you as you've gone along. Well, I had a lot of great ideas, but I would say that for the most part, um, they've been handled as it as we've come along. I'd like to get ahead of more things. I think that's just my personality. I always see the next thing I want to chase, but I sometimes can't chase it until the right time is 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 there. I think that um, we recognized some things needed to change in order to protect um, our lead pastor and help him to thrive in the skill set that he had the most strength in. We needed to free him up out of some things. And so originally my position was created really to take some of those things that were not in his skill set and were draining him and distracting him from what, um, where he could lay his passion and put the, uh, you know, the talents that God's given him, um, we created this position for me to be able to fulfill some of those things. Uh, and so he is a great visionary um, person. He is extremely relatable and authentic when he preaches. And so we want him to be able to cast vision and we want him to be able to have time to preach um, and um, lead our advisory team. I um, lead the staff and I usually describe it to say that I put the details to the ministries. Hmm. So uh, he may cast the vision for, you know, something and may pitch it out to the staff or the board and say, what if we did this? And, you know, what if this change came or what if this event happened? And then um, once we get some agreement and some uh, buy-in, then it's really up to me to then make it happen and figure out what that really looks like and look at all the different layers and how that impacts people, what that requires of our staff and our volunteers and, um, and so I kind of do the day to day and he does the big picture. And so a lot of those things get revealed to us as we're still working out, um, you know, the growth that we're experiencing and trying to go through um, all of this kind of at once. Now, 
obviously the church is doing, you know, by all accounts really well right now and making an impact in the community. So I'm curious just within your role, within those things that fall under your tasks, what are some things that you've discovered are some best practices or maybe a solution you've come up with within that role of executive pastor? Yeah. Well, I'm going to have a bent here, but I guess that's why each person gets their own voice on the (laughs) show. (laughs) But um, I come from a social work background. And so I have had a ton of community experience and training. um, And I've had continuing education every year. I'm required to get 20 hours of continuing education um, in my career. And so I see the need to be able to meet the holistic view of a person or of a family or of a community. And I think churches oftentimes want to do spiritual needs, of course. And the second thing they look at is physical needs um, because they don't, they can recognize that someone may have physical needs, but oftentimes I think we overlook the mental health needs Hmm. and even just the family's needs. And so I have encouraged some of my other pastor friends now to look at having um, someone in the church. There's got to be someone in in almost every church, that would be a licensed social worker or a licensed clinical social worker. And look at what it would might be like for your church to have a social work intern. Hmm. Because just like nurses or student or education majors, um, social work students in their undergrad have to spend 400 hours in a semester at one placement. That's 32 hours a week for an entire college semester that you could have really free labor yeah. to work on all sorts of things. And at a, at a, a master's level, somebody pursuing their MSW degree, um, they have to do, I don't actually, I don't have it offhand of the number of hours, but they have to do two semesters of work. And so I constantly have social work interns and really all you need is somebody who can supervise them for one hour a week. Hmm. And those social work interns to me can look at some of those bigger pictures. So what do you do when you have families in your church that have chronic poverty issues? Um, You know, what can you do to help them with those kinds of things? What can you do with those marriages that need more than just one or two pastoral counseling visits, but maybe because they're having marriage problems, they're also having financial problems and they can't afford community-based counseling. What can you do for that? Hmm. Um, If you have an MSW student, they have to do so many hours of therapy for free. You can offer therapy to your people completely free as long as you have somebody who can supervise them. Um, and so uh, that's something I, I think churches are afraid to start special needs ministries because they aren't sure how to get them going. Well, that's the social work students could, could do the research, could build the program, could format it all out, could train people, could get that whole launch it completely off the ground for churches. And then I even think of things like um, outreach events. Um, I think that uh, sometimes you really need to know what your community needs and churches can make assumptions that they know what their community members need, but they're making assumptions based on what they understand in the context of the four walls of their church hmm. um, or the few people that they know that don't go to their church. But what is it that the community needs? And can you have some students or some social work interns who can do some of that research and tell you what the community is actually in desperate need for? Because if they're in desperate need for something, they're more likely to come to your church if you're providing that. Hmm. Um, And so I think that has been something that I've shared with other churches and have helped them to build or improve some of their 
um, strategies to interact with the unchurched in their community or the hurting people within their congregation too. Yeah, absolutely. This is kind of blowing my mind a little because of of all the interviews I've done. And I've taken time outside of interviews to think about the church's role in the community. And I have never once thought about the social work side of it. Yeah, I think I think social workers are often seen as liberals, and so maybe the <laughs> church is afraid of them. <laughs> that's probably either liberals or kind of relegated to the foster care side almost. I think that's an immediate jump. Yeah, they may not understand what all they can be involved in. Hmm. Um, but even like some of the things I did when I was on the board is helped us provide a security and safety plan for our children's ministries. And so what does that look like? So that you make sure you're training people and equipping people and trying to protect your children best possible. And I did that because unfortunately I had seen a lot of really bad things mm. in some safe communities like schools and churches mm-hmm. because I had counseled children who had gone through horrific things in those safe places. And so I was able to kind of think through like, what does it look like to have really the safest possible environment you can provide for a church? Um, and so I think there's tons of ways and again, they have to be placed somewhere. And there's so many students, especially at Christian universities or even just at secular universities that are Christian um, that are attending there, that they're in social work because their parents gave them some part for missions mm. or their church put them on the path to look at the marginalized in society. And they pay attention to those who are left out. And so social work made the most sense for a college major, but really they have a ministry heart <laughs> and they love to do ministry with that social work degree. And so I just think there's, I think churches should look at employing social workers, but a starting point is there's free labor out there. Just tap into it. Yeah. I'm excited just on my own to kind of look into this more now because this is a whole world I've never thought about. Now, you've obviously, you pull a lot from your social work background. And I say background, but it's obviously a very current reality for you. It's not just like it's in the past for you just because you're working at a church now. But what are some other you know, places you pull from just to make sure you're staying sharp in your role as the executive pastor? Are there, you know, favorite conferences you go to or books that you read or other executive pastors you've tapped into? Where do you find that inspiration and challenge? Sure. Um, Well, I just went for the first time to the Rethink Leadership Conference um, in Atlanta just a few in April, actually, and loved that. I don't ever want to miss that again. That was incredible. And it was aimed at such a target audience that I got so much out of it. It was aimed at senior pastors, executive pastors, and senior leaders. And you had to really go through some kind of approval process to make sure that is all that was in the room. So everything just felt so applicable. I remember thinking two full days. I remember thinking on the second day, like, I'm going to just take a mental break and kind of check out because kind of getting like, you know, all that information coming at me like a fire hose. And I could never check out because everything was just so applicable and good. Um, and so that was excellent. I also really love podcasts. And so I love to listen to Carrie Newhoff and Craig Rochelle and Dan Ryland. And so those are just some of the ones that I um, listen to. Um, I enjoy reading books as well. Podcasts are probably more my favorite because I can do that while I am mm-hmm. working out or um typically walking the dog or running or something, but, um, but I do enjoy reading, um, a lot of those same authors, um, and then just anything else that someone hands me, that's a leadership model or, um, a leadership uh, discussion type book. Um, so yeah, but I think I pull from 
I think I do pull a lot from my history in my field before this, which is just unique because I felt silly. When I first got um, called into ministry, I, it took me an entire year. This is a little segue here, but I'm just going to give it to you here for a second. But it took me a year to really debate with God. Was I called to the River Church or was I called to ministry? Mm. And nobody else, my husband, uh, our lead pastor, my mentor, nobody else really thought that question was pertinent to them. Like they kind of kept asking, why does that question keep coming back to you? But it really did. It kept, they kept coming back to me. Um, and I think that I felt silly. I felt silly that I had this train in another field and was here now in this role and really didn't have, you know, the, the training that most people had. Hmm. Um, so I'm actually now a ministry student and taking some online courses to uh, pursue licensure and pursue ordination um, eventually. And so it's going to be a long process because I'm a mom and um, I'm going to take my time as I work and, and parent and, and my wife and all those things. But, but it's, it's something I am pursuing so that I can be fully equipped in the way God wants me to be. But um but yeah, I think now I look at that and say, wow, that's really cool that God called me out of a different career because he doesn't waste mm. anything and he's using so much of that. Yeah, absolutely. Amy, what encouragement would you give to others in church leadership? I think the encouragement is really along with what I'm just saying that we have our responsibility to pursue training. We have our responsibility to pursue somebody mentoring us. But we also have a responsibility to just continue to trust that God will equip us for the work he calls us to. And sometimes that's day-to-day equipping. Sometimes I think in the moment he's equipping me. Some other times I can look back and say, oh, now that makes sense. Now I can see some purpose from something else I've experienced in life and see where he was using that um, and equipped me from it. But um, I think oftentimes we, we get into leadership and we just kind of start to pull up our own, um, pull up our own selves with our, just our self-reliance and go get it attitude and hard work ethic. And so we're just trying to do so much on our own that ministry is still ministry. And God desires for us, not just to tell other people to step out in faith and not to tell other people to trust in him, but he desires for us to continue to live that out. And so to allow him space to continually equip us and change our leadership even as the demands change, to even change those things that he has um, given us so that we can further be equipped for the next stage in our leadership. Hmm. That's great. Amy, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been Monday Morning Church, presented by KISSFLOW. To learn how you can transition your church from paper forms to automated processes and improve your communication, go to church.kissflow.com.